Welcome to the Healing Embodied Podcast, where we have real and raw conversations about growth and healing that will shift your perspective in profound ways. We take a unique approach to healing the overthinking mind, creating conscious relationships, and living a life of courage and freedom. So take a deep breath and get ready to expand your mind, connect to your body, and activate your spirit. All right. Hello, everyone. Welcome back to the Healing Embodied Podcast. This is your host, Chelsea Horton. And I have a guest that is 10 out of 10 going to be on a lot. (laughs) Uh, I've actually been on her podcast many a time, maybe five. Uh, She has her own podcast called Anxious Love Coach. She also works with clients who experience anxiety in their relationships Um, she is one of my best friends. I was a bridesmaid in her wedding. We met on Instagram, ladies and gentlemen, and all other identifying folks. (laughs) Here is Natalie Kennedy. Just imagining like stands erupting and me bowing. Thank you. Thank you so much. It's such an honor to be on your podcast. Finally. Finally. Yay. We, um, when we have conversations, it gets very extra, like (laughs) we get very dramatic. And so this is going to be a very fun conversation and also a very meta conversation because we're going to be talking about your beliefs about your beliefs. Mm -hmm. What? Beliefception. Beliefception. What does that mean? Your beliefs about your beliefs. I think there's a lot of people talking about like, what are your beliefs? Identify your beliefs, change your beliefs. But I think we actually limiting limiting beliefs. Yeah, you're limiting beliefs. But we need to actually look at what are your beliefs about your beliefs. So we're gonna start having this conversation and see where the conversation takes us into what dimension it takes us. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, yes, I'm very excited. Um and you know, this just this thought just came up while you were saying that. And I think we've, you know, one of the first instances we hear about um, beliefs about beliefs are when beliefs are defined as limiting. We say limiting beliefs. Oh, that's a limiting belief. You think you're not enough? That's a limiting belief. I just want to point out that every single belief is limiting <laughs> because, mm. like, every single belief that you have is limiting because, in a certain context, it can be limiting if you are, and that I, that's really you know, if you don't want to listen to the rest of this podcast, that's basically the whole essence of it is, is beliefs are only useful in a certain context. Um, and you can, in theory, uh, I, I, in my, I have this, I had this program I just finished called both feet in. And we talked about, um, I, one of the things I said was that beliefs are a lot like snow chains that you put on your tires and are snow chains good or bad. (laughs) well they're not very useful in the desert (laughs) but they're really useful in the snow Mm -hmm. so um but some people they they cling to they develop a belief maybe from childhood and then they they put on their snow chains to help them navigate an icy environment and it helped them survive and then now they're driving on the 405 freeway in los angeles and they haven't taken their snow chains off and they're wondering why the ride is really bumpy it's like well you have snow chains on honey (laughs) yeah i love that analogy some beliefs are useful and serve a purpose in some phases of your life. 
And then as you go to new terrain, so to speak, those beliefs are no longer helpful. They become quote unquote limiting. And another thing I see a lot when it comes to beliefs, and this is what I was raised to believe about my beliefs. I was raised to believe that my beliefs are absolutely 100% true and right. And like the ultimate truth, the ultimate right belief, like my belief was the belief system of all belief systems. So I had a belief about my beliefs. And for those who have listened to my podcast, I was raised in like fundamentalist Christianity. So like we had our beliefs, the Christian beliefs, which that in itself, you know, it's its own thing, right? A Christian belief system. But the beliefs that I had about those beliefs was that this is the only belief system and anyone else who had any other belief system was wrong. And I actually needed to prove that they were wrong and get them to believe what I believe, because I believe that my beliefs were the beliefs of all beliefs. That's a lot of beliefs. <laughs> right. It's like there, there's the truth and, you know, we have to talk about objective versus subjective truth, which is really what this comes down to. And what's really cool is, um, I love that this podcast allows us to talk about things other than relationship anxiety, but it's worth realizing that it's through relationship anxiety that we came to really look at beliefs in general. Um, and so the work of relationship anxiety ends up being, I believe, <laughs> the work of all things. And this is one of the big unlearnings that you have to do, which is that there's, there's a difference between objective and subjective truth. And that's really, I think, what beliefs are, are about. It's context. <laughs> From yeah. what perspective are you looking at a certain belief? You know, yeah. and that's what that's what I'm hearing from from your story, Chelsea, is that, um, you know, a lot of times we are indoctrinated to believe that something that is actually subjective, we're being told is the objective truth when it's actually very subjective. And I guess we should define objective and subjective um, if you want to do that or you want me to do that. You take the lead on that one. Yeah, yeah. So it's like subjective truth is is open to um, interpretation. It's like subjective means, well, it depends on where you're looking from. You know, the word subject is in the word subjective, which implies that there is a subject I don't want to get too complicated here, but like there is a particular angle from which we are looking at the truth. It's kind of like, have you seen that um, cartoon with the elephant? And then there's like five blind men and they're describing the elephant and they're describing the elephant from like five different places. Yes. They're like, it's really smooth because he's touching the tusk. Yeah. <laughs> elephants are smooth. And so he's touching the tusk. And the other one's like, no, elephants are really dry and rigid. And so they're like arguing another person and, and it's like fat. And there's another part, uh, another, you know, blind guy touching the ear. And he's like, no, they're really thin and, and hairy. And it's like, who's right? Well, yeah. they're all right. But yeah. each of them has a different subjective truth because they are a different subject um, experiencing the same elephant from a different angle objective truth is kind of like almost the God perspective, mm -hmm. which this is where God is used. The, con the conversation about God is useful because 
God is objective. God can see far enough out of the situation to be like, ah, it's all true. It's all true. Mm-hmm. It's, it's, it's one elephant. You are all experiencing that one elephant from a different place. So objective truth, I like to think of as like God perspective, mm-hmm. uh, which we sometimes have access to, and sometimes we don't, and sometimes we think we have access to it, but we, but it's actually still subjective. And that's where it can get really messy as in the case for you. Um, so objective is like objective perspective is like God perspective and subjective perspective is like, you're, you're the blind guy touching the elephant's butt (laughs) thinking that that's what an elephant is. Yeah. And I actually think that the majority of us believe that what we believe and what we experience and our beliefs based on our experience is the objective truth. And I think that's why you see so many people getting into these intense arguments in relationships, on the social medias. I mean, even in the beginning of my relationship, there was like this need for like this belief that my partner was just wrong, like just <laughs> wrong for like not seeing the world in the way that I saw it and thinking like that my, my way was actually superior like my way of seeing things, my way of perceiving things, my beliefs about the world and reality was actually, you know, this is a subconscious belief, but that it was superior. And that the way that like the way I experienced the world was actually better. And so like, I needed to get him to see the world in the way that I saw it rather than having that expansive godlike perspective and saying like, oh, the way he sees the world is also valid. The way he processes reality and the beliefs he has are also valid because he's a different human being having a different experience. But I think yeah. most of us think like my, the way I believe things, my experience, my beliefs like are the superior way. So therefore I need everyone to see it my way. Yeah. And like... To be fair, I actually am. My belief is actually right. So I just right. want to let you guys yes. know. Yeah. Like, right. <laughs> <laughs> like the perspective that I have is, is actually right. the truth. So yes. just know that. Nat- um, I actually have God on the podcast right now, everyone. Um, <laughs> God goes by Natalie just to like pass as a human. But this, we're really lucky right now. We have God on the podcast. <laughs> uh, you're welcome. Thank you. For <laughs> I know you're so busy. <laughs> uh, yes. <laughs> um, but I think, you know, I, the reason I'm able to say that and laugh about it is because I think I'm so humble. Um, <laughs> it's true and it's not like, I, you know, <laughs> There, there comes a point where you have to accept that you just don't, can I, do you cuss on this podcast? Oh yeah. We're explicit. Okay. <laughs> there comes a point where you have to accept that you just don't fucking know what's yeah. actually true. And that's terrifying mm-hmm. um, because I'm able to say, yes, my truth is the ultimate truth. And the reason I'm able to laugh about it is because I know that there's more that I don't know. And um, I believe that to actually be in what we call this God perspective means embracing the fact that we're all kind of stupid 
um, and that we're actually all here to learn from each other. Yeah. And uh, as soon as you think you're done learning, you can't learn anything new. And then you start becoming unwilling to hear other perspectives. It doesn't actually matter if you agree with them or not, but just being open to being, being open to being curious, not just being curious, but being open to being curious. Mm-hmm. Um, it's not like, oh, I'll only be curious in this one context. Yeah. Um, it's like, be open to being curious. Um, and this is a practice. It's not something you just master. Um, and I think over time you, you stop thinking like, oh, this is right. And this is wrong. It's you start being in this perpetual state of, yeah, it could be maybe. Mm-hmm. And that's, that really, by the way, that really pisses people off. <laughs> it really pisses people and off when you're like, your I don't know, maybe. <laughs> it pisses your ego off because your ego like wants to What do you mean right? you don't know? There's all this yeah. evidence to support X, Y, Z. How do yeah. you not know? It's clear. It's like, I know there's a lot of evidence there, but, and I, I, I learned about this actually in coaching school which is that an absence of evidence does not indicate evidence of absence or Mm. it's like, just because the evidence isn't there doesn't mean that. What what am I trying to say here? Like something's not valid just because. Right. It's like, just be okay. Just because we can't prove that God, and this is kind of what like the Christian, the Christians would say, it's like, just because you can't prove tangibly that God doesn't exist, doesn't mean he doesn't exist. Right. However you define that to be, I don't even, I have no fucking clue if it's a he, she, it thing, whatever. I have my perceptions of it, but just absence of evidence does not equal um, evidence of absence. Mm-hmm. So because of that, you have to be like, okay, we know a lot, but there's, we actually don't even don't know what we don't know. Yeah. Yeah. And I think going back to that curiosity piece, when you encounter someone and they have a belief rather than writing it off as right or wrong, I think that curiosity is being curious about the context from which that belief formed. Yes. So say, let's just use the example of relationships, since that's what we talk about. If your partner has an opinion or a belief or perspective about something, instead of being like, nope, no, that's wrong. You you need to see it my way to be curious. Right. Right. My way is the right way. So, (laughs) but being curious, like what is the context from where that belief Formed, where that belief is true for that context, where that belief is valid and congruent in that context. Maybe right. in your context, in your experience, that belief would not be congruent, but in maybe that other person, maybe your partner, maybe a friend, someone you're inter- interacting with online, maybe for that person from their context, the belief that they have come to, the conclusion they have come to would be congruent based on that context. So then Mm -hmm. the curiosity is what is the context here? Because a lot of people were only seeing it from our own context, our own subjective experience. What is And then it seems totally uh, 
ludicrous when yeah. I first hear it because we're only looking at it from our own context. Even going to the Christianity thing, you know, like my my husband was raised Catholic, but like his dad was always agnostic, his mom was Catholic. And so like the faith was never like this central pillar of their entire existence. Whereas for me, it was like, it was woven into the fabric of everything my family did. Like it was, that is the only cultural thing I can think of about our family. Like that's the only culture we had was the religion. And so, you know, he sees people today who like, who are Christian and, and say certain things. And he's like, how do these people believe this? And it's like, well, um, as much as it frustrates me now where I am now, I get it because I know the context from which that belief system arose and how those, those people in that belief, they really believe that like what they're believing and what they're doing is good. That it's like, that's the thing that's the most helpful and beneficial to the world. Like, okay, we're just going to like blast it wide open here. Like the whole abortion thing, you know, like Christians are typically very conservative Christians are typically very anti-abortion and, you know, when everything happened with Roe v. Wade and, you know, we're not going to get into that, but my husband's like, how do these people like think this way? And it's like, well, I don't agree with them, but I used to because of the context I came from and they really believe like that they are doing something good and helpful for the world by pushing this belief system forward. So being able to look at the context from which a belief arose is so helpful and also very humbling because I, you know, who I am now, even though my belief system is totally different, I, I still want to feel right. You know, like it is, it is natural for the ego. Do you want to feel right and make other people wrong? And to look at the context from which someone's belief system comes from, would no longer make you right and them wrong. It levels the playing field. It levels us all to our humanity. Yeah, and I think, um, you know, we, we can't talk about beliefs without talking a little bit about trauma and shame, of course, because um, what is it about the ego's need to create separation and make me right and you wrong? Well, sometimes I, you know, because this has happened to me before where, not definitely not as much as it used to, but uh, once in a while, this does happen where I have a certain way of looking at the world and that someone could even be on social media. It could be someone, you know, it could be a family member um, confronts you with a polarizingly opposite way of looking at the world. And it really like, it jolts your nervous system um, because it, it presents, it, it can be very seemingly, it, it can feel like a gaslight. It can feel like a, uh, an invalidation of your reality. And one of the most, um, what am I trying to say? Like one of the things that allows us to see ourselves in the way that we do and the way that we see ourselves in the world is our past and our history and the ways that we have interpreted it. And to have somebody just like, totally throw all of that out the window it can make your life and everything that you've done all the struggles that you've gone through and all the ways that you have made your life all the pain that you've experienced in your life makes sense to have someone come at you and say like nope that's all false 
that's really scary. That's really scary. Um, and not everyone has, you know, done the inner work, including myself, to just be able to walk around being a nobody that does not take their past into consideration as part of their identity. That's Your narrative. Really yeah, like basically what ends up getting questioned when someone comes at you with a different belief is it makes you question your own narrative. Yeah. And I don't believe that's abuse. I don't believe that's a gaslight. It's just two things are true and they happen to seem um, incompatible. These truths seem incompatible. But as we know yeah. from that analogy with the elephant, you don't have to, un you don't have to know you don't have to be able to see the elephant to trust that there's a divine connection here that that these things can be compatible even if you don't understand how they can be compatible mm. that and makes it, sense yeah and it doesn't you know if someone does have a polarizingly opposite belief as you it doesn't have to make you wrong or bad right and i think that's where the shame comes in like we internalize the belief, like, oh, I'm wrong or bad. Somebody has to be wrong here. Yeah. It's either me or it's you. <laughs> yes. So it's going to be I'm, me. That's right. I must be wrong or bad because this person has a totally different view than me. And it's completely invalidating my narrative and my story and my belief system. So I must be wrong or bad. But with the elephant analogy, it doesn't make you wrong. It doesn't make them wrong. It doesn't make you right. It doesn't make them right. It's being able to see the again the the context from where these beliefs these narratives are coming from and it doesn't mean you have to suddenly be beliefless like i don't know like yes there's a little bit of this like i don't know having more spaciousness around right, don't your stick your head in the sand kind of but you don't have to say it like you don't have to not have any opinions <laughs> like or beliefs about your existence here um like so it's it's the nuance. You don't want to white knuckle it with your beliefs and you cling to them for dear life as they are the only true and right thing. Cause I think that's the need for like certainty. I need to have certainty and, and my belief system gives me this sense of certainty. Right. So that's one extreme. And then the other extreme is I have no opinions. I have no beliefs. I have no stance on anything. So we're not even inviting you into that opposite extreme. It's how can we see the nuance when it comes to beliefs and, and move away from the white knuckling it with our beliefs and making other people wrong or bad or telling ourselves a shame story if other people don't agree with us? Um, yes, yeah, so it's more of an invitation. Can you hold your beliefs with a little bit more of an open palm versus a clenched white knuckled fist? Can you be open to curiosity? like you said, and be curious about the context from which someone else's belief arises. Because let, let's bring in the example of like our relationship anxiety work. So we talk a lot about like, doubt doesn't mean you have to leave. Or if you experience anxiety in a relationship, that's probably because of trauma and your subconscious beliefs around love and past experiences. To someone else, and we come up against this a lot. We get people commenting saying, this is so, you know, what, like my anxiety was right. I, sh I knew I should have left and I did. My ex was an asshole and I had anxiety the whole time. 
So it's, so it's like to someone else in their context, in their experiences, the things we say are incredibly invalidating to them and are not true for them. Yeah, and it can be my favorite um, statement, and I'm not going to take credit for it. It was actually a parenting coach named Dr. Becky, not even a coach, she was a freaking psychologist, a Dr. Becky Kennedy. I think she coined this term, two things are true. Um, and that statement has changed my life. <laughs> and a lot of people like credit me for that statement. It's not mine. Um, but I say it all the time because it's such a life-changing way of looking at the world. It's like, ah, two things are true. My relationship doubts were not a sign that I was with the wrong partner. And your relationship doubts were a sign that you were with the wrong, wrong partner. And we also have to look at the limitations of language, which we will cover in just a short while. But there's something I wanted to say, and it came to mind. And I just... It just made me wonder, um, we talk a little, we talk about relationships, we talk about attachment styles, but if we, if we can just talk about attachment for a moment and how we can actually have an attachment to beliefs. Um, and by the way, you can have, you can be anxiously attached to your beliefs and you can be avoidantly attached to the beliefs. And we're suggesting that you have a secure and open attachment to your beliefs. Beliefs. I think an anxious attachment to beliefs is trying to find the one. You're trying to find the one partner. You're also trying to find the one belief that's going to like be the right belief, the right way to look at relationships. Is healing embodied, right? Is, is anxious love coach, right? Is so-and-so, right? Whose perspective on relationships is the right perspective? It's like, they're all right and wrong. It's kind of like Tylenol. Is Tylenol a good drug? It's like, I... I don't know for what, <laughs> why do you think like pill bottles have a list of so many disclaimers? It's because they know who this medicine is for and who it's not. And beliefs are like medicine. You need to know who it's for and who it's not, but not all of us are pharmacists of belief systems. So we're not going to list out, you know, 30 pages worth of who is this for and who is this not? Nobody has that kind of time. Um, whereas I think, so that would be like an anxious attachment to your beliefs. It's like you're clinging to beliefs or you are, um, you have a suffocating attachment to a certain belief, like a very dogmatic view of something. Um, and anytime you loosen that grip on that belief, you go into shame spirals. And I think an avoidant attachment to, to certain beliefs is just sticking your head in the sand. It's like, I don't have any beliefs. La la la. I have no opinions. And I really, I have no ego, like whatever. <laughs> yeah. Right. <laughs> you, that's you, you do have a belief. You just have a belief that beliefs are wrong. And now yeah. you are, in, you know, it's still a belief when you have no beliefs. It's still a belief. You have a belief that beliefs are bad. Um, it's, it's not about sticking your head in the sand and just not having an opinion. That's another trauma response. It's like, oh, if, and by the way, when we're trying to never have an opinion about anything, that's actually our belief that if we were to take a side that we would get abandoned. And so we're trying to avoid getting abandoned by either side. I used to be in this. I definitely yeah, lean more too. towards avoidant. I lean more towards avoidant sometimes. Yeah. Um, so it's actually been a practice for me to actually go step out of the objective and into the subjective. A lot of people are, they cling to the subjective and they don't know how to go into objective. Mm. Um, but I have a tendency to stick to the objective and be like, well, this is what everybody's thinking and I don't stand anywhere in there. I just, I have this omnipotent perspective. So for me, it's actually 
um, following my ego sometimes, like deliberately choosing to be an ego and say, I do have an opinion and you might not like it. (laughs) So notice where you are. If you tend to be a more anxious attachment to your beliefs, where you cling, see if you can lean back and start having more in a a bird's eye view on, on beliefs. If you tend to be more avoidant with your beliefs, where you just are like, I don't, I'm not going to take a side, feel into the discomfort of taking a side. Mm. Yeah. I, I was probably more, I was definitely anxious with my beliefs back in the day. And then I kind of swung to the opposite of extreme of being a bit more avoidant and not wanting to take a side because that means other people will disagree with me, which means, you know, abandonment, you know, I might feel shame because, oh my gosh, like other people think I'm horrible for believing what I believe. So yeah, that, that secure attachment with beliefs is, is flexibility. I think flexibility versus rigidity. And this is why I think nervous system work is so important too, which you teach much more than I do. And I'm only just, you know, my co-coach shared and this is kind of my nervous system person and anxious love coach, but it's, it's learning the art of, of, can you be in two places at once? Can you hold the subjective and the objective at the same time? Can you acknowledge that? Can you say, I have an opinion and simultaneously acknowledge that it's an opinion. That's a big piece of it. It's like, you sometimes don't realize that your truth is actually a truth, not the truth. So can you say, this is my truth in my context? And I have, there is room. I I'm actually room. I have room for being proven potentially wrong or not even right or wrong, but maybe there are more layers to this. Yes. And I'm open to expanding my perspective, not canceling it out. Yes. Yes. Expanding. Yeah. N- not sticking with the binaries. Cause that's what we're kind of talking about here, right or wrong belief, but expanding and being able to hold more, just like we teach, you know, I teach my clients and I, I'm sure you teach your clients. Like I can hold multiple emotions at once. I can be anxious, but also excited. I can have joy, but also grief at the same time. Like I can hold more seemingly contradictory experiences in my body. My body has built more capacity and flexibility to be able to do that. Same thing with beliefs because certain beliefs also uh, trigger certain responses in our body. One belief might feel ah, soothing and comforting. And one belief might feel a little bit uncomfortable and challenging. So it's, yeah, being able to have the, the nervous system flexibility and capacity to yes, hold your belief based on your experience and also be open to expanding and just even acknowledging that there are other perspectives or other layers or more nuance or things that, that might be true for other people, but not you. So it's being able to expand more. And I think that allows us to move through the world, move through our relationships a lot more graciously. Yeah. Yeah. We're, and, we can bend without breaking. Yeah. Yeah. And to, to not always have to make someone else wrong or make someone else the bad guy. Or uh, ourselves wrong or the bad yeah, guy. Or ourselves wrong. Like, oh, this, this person on social media posted this, but that's not what I do. That's not what I think. So am I wrong? Are they right? Am I doing something wrong? Because they're doing, 
you know, we, we either make them wrong or we make ourselves wrong. And that's, that's the binary thinking. And so some, something else I want to talk about, and you mentioned it earlier when it comes to beliefs is actually language, like the words themselves. And even how one word can mean something different depending on the context or depending on someone's definition of that word. Yeah. Yeah. Um, this is, I actually first kind of studied this with um, nonviolent communication um, by Marshall Rosenberg. This is a phenomenal book for someone who's just starting out with learning about subjective and objective and interpretation and object um, observation versus uh, evaluation. This, this is so important. Um, and even the even the book uh, when I first read Nonviolent Communication, I was like, I found it! I found the truth! I figured it out! This is this is what the world is missing, and it's right, and we all need to master nonviolent communication. And at the time, that was true. And then years later, I'm like, huh? Even that book has limitations, mm-hmm. and. Uh, it's that's very humbling because it it makes you realize that that's how everything is. It's like you're missing something, and then you find it, and that becomes your truth. And you think that that's the truth, and then later on in your life, you only realize that that's one actually little piece of the truth. And <laughs> and you're like, oh shit, there's context where nonviolent communication is not useful, <gasps> right? But anyway, to get back to my point, um, one of the first principles that um, Marshall Rosenberg talks about is the difference between uh, an observation and an evaluation, or sometimes I I change the word evaluation with like perception or interpretation. There's a difference between an observation and an interpretation. Observation is just looking at the sheer isness of something. And then the interpretation, which by the way, is not bad. It helps us simplify our lives and communicate and make assumptions that allow us to not uh, dissect and tear apart every single word. Like, imagine you had to define every single word before you used it. Like we wouldn't get anywhere. (laughs) You'd just be a walking dictionary and you wouldn't be able to have a conversation. So we make these agreements on what words mean. And then when we have a collective society that collectively agrees on what certain words mean, then we're able to progress as a society. But one of the limitations of that is that sometimes when we learn a word, we learn a word in a certain context. And so we have our, we don't just have societal definitions of words. We also have our own definitions of words um, that come about through different experiences. Um, certain words, we have certain emotions tied to them. And so um, I think Chelsea, you used, and I want you to talk, tell your story about this. Um, you and Matt have a story about where you guys are having two totally different conversations, but you were both using the same word. And until you guys examine, anyway, I'm gonna let you tell that story because it's awesome. Yes. And oh my gosh, like this is probably one of the, I mean, there's a lot of helpful relationship tips, but this is going to be very helpful for those of you who are in relationship. So we ended up having this, a bit of a disagreement or an argument or whatever. And it was like, he was using his phone at a certain time. And I said something like, when you use your phone at this certain time, I feel like you're not present or I experience you as not present. And he got like defensive. He's like, I like, I am more present in this relationship than you are. And I was like, I was taken aback because for those who know my story, like 
in the beginning of our relationship, I was not present. You know, I was one foot in one foot out. I was there, but my mind was somewhere else. And I've worked so hard and I experienced myself as deeply present in the relationship. And, and I even told him, like, I'm not saying you're not present in this relationship. I'm saying in this one instance, like when you're on your phone in this context, I'm not saying you are not present in this relationship. I'm saying when in this context, when you were on your phone, I experienced you as not being present with me. And it means a lot for you to be present with me at this time. And we were just like, it was, he just kept coming back to like, well, I actually think you're the less present one. And it just kept, I was like, what do you mean? Like, can you give me examples? Like what? Like, I'm like, this is really hurtful for me to hear that that you experienced me as not present. And I want to know like why you experienced me that way. So like, cause it means it's important to me that you experience me as present in this relationship. Like that's important to me. And so to hear that, like you experience me as not present, like is deeply hurtful to me. And I like, I really want to understand like why you feel that way. And it was like a discussion that happened over the course of like three days. Cause he I'm like, you know, a wordsmith. I'm very like deep. I can have conversations all day long and he's not. Um, and so finally we're going back and forth, back and forth. And I said, wait a minute, wait a minute. What is your definition of the word present? And he was like, you know, like here, you know, like when someone's taking roll call and they're like, Chelsea Horton present, like your body's physically here. He's like, you know, cause you like to go places more. Right. Like physically your body is present. Like I like to go to yoga classes or dance classes, or I like to go like have lunch dates with my friends. He's like, you know, like you like to go places more. And I like to stay home. I like to be here with you. And I was like, oh, so in my world, in my worldview, you know, I think of presence, you know, Eckhart Tolle, the power of now presence is a state of being, you could be somewhere physically, but you're not present mentally. Like presence is a state of being of be like being here in the moment, being fully aware, fully here in mind, body, and soul. So that's the word I'm thinking he's using. And he's like, no, you know, like you like to go places more. And then from there, we were able to finally have a more productive conversation because we finally, like, I finally understood like what he was meaning when he was saying, I'm less present. Like he literally meant physically. I'm, I go places more than he does. Like I'm not. Right, and he probably values physical presence more yes. than energetic presence. So that becomes his definition. And yeah. And mine is the opposite. I value energetic presence more than, well, it's not like vastly more like I like, I like quality time, but you know, so once we finally understood, okay, we're using the same word, but we have completely different definitions based on our context. Cause my context is I'm a spiritual woo woo, like energy person. And he's flesh and bones here on earth, logical, mechanical, like it is what it is. So that's the context he's using this word in and I'm using it in a different context. So even like when engaging with someone else's beliefs or views, like what is actually the definite, like, do you have the same definition when you're talking about the word love, even what is your definition of the word love? (laughs) What does that actually mean to you? So 
yeah, I think coming back to that curiosity, being curious, like what is even the definition of the words that people are using when they have a belief? Yeah. Well, and arguably any thought really. And I think it's worth mentioning Byron Katie here because she has her, you know, she's got her, her step, some four-step question process on the work. And, you know, you take, and you can take any sentence any belief, you can find context where that's true. And you can also turn it around like she does. She literally turns the language around and you can find context where that's true as well. So it's like, for me, I, I used to obsess over the question in my head where, you know, we're going to speak on relationship anxiety for a moment in particular. I used to have this thought, like, I don't love my partner. And it would freak me the fuck out. I would just panic and think, oh God, I'm in the wrong relationship. And now I'm able to really laugh because if you ask me, do I love my partner? I'll be like, what day is it? (laughs) And, And also what's your definition of the word love? If we're talking like unconditional love that comes from my soul, that's always present that love goes to him and to everyone. Um, but if you're defining love as, as like, do I like my partner? Well, it depends on the day. And so can I simultaneously love and not love my partner at the time? My brain just exploded. Yes. Yes, you can. You can love and not love your partner at the same time. And I think that is, it makes me laugh because they kind of cancel each other out and you're left with like nothing and just like the present (laughs) moment. Right because all of your thoughts are true and untrue at the same time and they can cancel each other out and you're left with really stillness mm-hmm. and and being here right now and again that doesn't mean you have no thoughts you have no beliefs and you just float around as a spirit body and you don't participate on this planet i'm not saying that i'm saying participate on this planet act in accordance like pick a belief and stick what by it for now you can always change it Um, and know that like, you can't fuck this up and you can, (laughs) ha 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 ha. And that's what it all comes back to. Like, none of us know what we're doing. Yeah. Yeah. There's no manual. So that, so therefore we can have a little less seriousness. We can take ourselves not so seriously. We can take our thoughts and our beliefs, not so seriously, like hold Hold things with a bit more lightness yeah. and openness. Yeah. And I think that's probably the definition of open-minded. Mm-hmm. Being open and, and holding your beliefs and thoughts with more lightness, not taking every thought or belief so freaking seriously, like life or death, and therefore taking other people's beliefs and thoughts and words as like so seriously and so life or death. Yeah. Yeah. When I was in coaching school, they taught, or not even coach school. I went to health coaching school and I learned like, I spent a year long studying nutrition and um, in per- but we learned like, we learned like a very holistic perspective of nutrition. And also they had a different definition of nutrition that most of us have a def- defined nutrition as society defines nutrition as what you put in your mouth. The Institute for Integrative Nutrition defined nutrition as everything that you consume, Mm. which is 
okay, that could be food, but it could also be your relationships, the media that you consume. And they considered that to be, that was their definition of nutrition. And so from, from that perspective, this is why I think I was able to coach relationships as well, because um, we took a holistic perspective on everything and relationships was included as part of what feeds us. Mm. And so thank God for that integrated nutrition was such a great school. And that's what allowed me to be the coach that I am today, even though I went from like food to relationships, it's all the same. Um, But one of the things that they taught us was everything in moderation, even moderation. What does that mean? That means consciously binge. Mm -hmm. Everything in moderation, even moderation, which means sometimes go to the extreme. Isn't that delicious? Yeah. So we'll say, be lighthearted, be open-minded, but also be open-minded to about your open-mindedness, which means once in a while, (laughs) be rigid. Yes. Like you've said before on your page once, um, uh, you're like, are you going to break up with your partner today or not? Like sometimes you need to have that decisiveness, sometimes rigidity or black and white thinking or yes or no is helpful. Mm -hmm. Right. So like, yes, be open. Yes. See the uncertainty. And sometimes, (laughs) sometimes we need to just fucking act and take a stand and say yes or no. Right. I think when I first, I used to think in black and white. And so it became very useful for me to start thinking in terms of nuance, but then I swung into like, everything is nuanced and I'm never going to take a stance. And now I know through learning how to trust myself, I know when to take, when to be nuanced and when to be black and white thinking. It's not black and white thinking is bad. It's like, no, black and white thinking is useful sometimes when we have overcomplicated something. Yeah. And you also have to look at, um, you know, who decides that something is overcomplicated? Who decides that you're overthinking something? Would you, would you get mad at an engineer for overthinking their calculations on a bridge? God, I hope not. <laughs> I want the most perfectionistic engineer on the planet who has nightmares about being off by 0.000001 centimeters on when they're building a bridge. So overthinking, even that word is open to interpretation. What's overthinking? And that's why it really comes down to self-trust. You get to decide where's that threshold of what's overthinking and what's not. And what I think is overthinking might be perfectly reasonable thinking to you. And that's why this work is so important. Do you trust yourself? Um, are you willing to draw the line and say, you know, good enough. And this is going to piss some people off. And arguably, I'm going to also say that, that this particular perspective at this particular moment, not even in the whole podcast, but this particular perspective at this particular moment is a very privileged one. I just want to say that. Mm. Um, so just take, you know, realize that this statement that I'm about to say is useful in many contexts and it's a privileged one. Two things are true. The statement is this, um, it just fucking went out the window. Don't you love that? <laughs> All this time, like framing <laughs> this statement with context so that it doesn't derail a bunch of you. And that is the funny, the funniness of it. Can you back me up a little bit? Where was I before this? Um, oh, this about overthinking, the definition of overthinking is different for everyone. Oh, self-trust. This is, this, this is the statement. It doesn't fucking matter. None of it matters. None of this matters. It doesn't, if you break up or not, it doesn't matter. 
and know that to be able to think that way is a privileged perspective because in a, in, if you're in an abusive relationship, it in a way it does, it does matter. matter. It does matter. But also on an objective level, it doesn't because even then at some point you'll make a decision and it'll be the right decision at that time. And so who's to say that the decisions you made leading up until that decision were right or wrong? Who knows? Who knows? And that's why I say at some point you have to start living your life like it doesn't matter. And that is useful for people who think that everything matters. Yeah. And for people who think that nothing matters and that's like a form of avoidance of life, it would be helpful for them to start thinking that things do matter a little bit more than they do. Right. You know? And that's, that's why context is- Context, 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 context. Do not take things at face value. Do not take movies at face value, books. Always say, ha, huh, this is useful and it's one puzzle piece. Yeah. And that's why like on social media, you know, you see so much freaking fighting and arguing because you have so many characters you can write in and you can, you say one sentence and it's true in the context you're meaning it to be for the person you're meaning for it to be communicated to, but you have everyone in the world seeing it and it may be true for some people and for some people it's not true, but people can't handle that. <laughs> handle that something might not be true for me. So I need to right. tell you how wrong this statement is. But like you said, this, this statement, it doesn't matter, is true and helpful in one context and more detrimental in another context. So y'all, when you're navigating the Instagrams, the TikToks, the social medias, even this podcast, even this podcast, mm-hmm. take everything with a grain of salt and learn to cultivate self-trust and discernment. And this is why discernment. I want to like this post. is why the work is always the same. You know, whether you know both of us focus on relationship anxiety in our work, whether relationship anxiety is the doorway, the work is always the same. Self-trust, discernment, learning how to feel safe in your body, cultivating that nervous system flexibility. That's all the, the work is the same. <laughs> I had a yoga teacher. I just got chills. So true. I, I had a yoga teacher that once said, how you do one thing is how you do everything. And the work that you do to overcome relationship anxiety ends up being the work that you'll do for the rest of your life to overcome literally anything. Because yep. at some point you realize that it's all about you. Yeah. And you have to also look at your definition of you. <laughs> <laughs> Who are you? <laughs> Are you your body? Are you your mind? Are you the collective energy? Like, um, personally, and I actually learned this from doing like ayahuasca ceremonies. It's like, when I, when you think that you're your thoughts and you don't know who you are when you're not thinking, you think that that's you, but there comes a point through doing whatever your pathway is together, getting there, whether it's through healing embodied work or my work or some NLP work or ERP work or OCD work, like whatever, ABCD. All, all the, you know, at some point you realize all paths are intended to lead to the same place. And that's to bring you back to yourself. Yoga mm-hmm. can do it. Meditation can do it. Um, trauma work can do it. NLP can do it. all these different therapies are designed to take you home to yourself. And so even if one approach didn't work for you, chances are in some way it got you closer 
to the approach that is going to work for you. And so are you going to say it was the wrong approach? I don't know. Hmm. Mm. So what if you just trusted that it's all part of the path for you? Um, And eventually the the work, the work, the work of all things, self-trust, it's designed to take you home to yourself. And when you come home to yourself, trust me, you'll know. You feel it. You'll know. You'll know because you'll realize that who you are is actually who all of us are. Yes. You'll know you came home to yourself because you'll be like, ah, who I am is who we all are. Yeah. That oneness. When you reach oneness, you're like, ah, yes. And if you've never experienced it, we can just talk about it. We can use language to point to it. But the language and word choices that I use, which I try to be impeccable with because it's it, you ever take calculus like you're you have the limit and you can never touch the limit it's like you get closer and closer and closer but you can never i love mathematics it's such a nerd you can try to touch the limit but you'll never touch it right not with words you won't touch it with words but you can get close if you learn impeccable language which is actually why in my programs i actually teach them how to develop impeccable language. It's very important. It's something I'm very sad that is getting thrown out the window today because the more impeccable you are with your word, as Don Miguel Ruiz would say in the four agreements, the more impeccable you are with your word, the closer you are to source. Mm -hmm. So be impeccable with your word choices and develop your vocabulary so that you can be more concise and say what you mean and mean what you say. And also be willing to understand that not everybody's going to interpret things the same way that you do, including your words. Right. Doesn't matter how you intended them to get across. You cannot, com- your, your meaning making cannot compete with other people's meaning making. <laughs> yep. Yeah. Yes. So even, even that, the impeccable with your language has its limitations because you cannot control how someone else perceives the words you say. Yes. Yeah. Amazing. This was such a meta conversation. Oh, meta. Oh, meta. And this is the kind of like nerdy stuff we love talking about. You guys literally just jumped into our WhatsApp text, like voice yes. notes for an hour. This is what Chelsea and I just like talk about in WhatsApp. <laughs> we'll be like talking and we'll land on a thing and we'll be like, oh my God, we should do a podcast on this. <laughs> We should tell it a podcast because like everyone needs to hear this. Because <laughs> I'm right. I'm, I'm just, we're just so wise. We're just so wise. We're like the Buddha, just like. <laughs> well, just yeah. So, so everything is objective, but like my way actually, my, my way actually is the right way. I just want right. to know. Right. Everything is objective except everything we just said. That's actually the truth. Yes. <laughs> and have fun have fun yes the nature of existence is confusing interesting one and i like to say be a student of life like be be a student have a learning mindset always be willing to learn and have life surprise you have life prove you wrong you know if you have a certain belief system this is the way things should be this is how relationships should be. This is how life, my life should go. Be open to life proving you wrong. 
true. Beautiful. I love that. My teacher said something very similar. She said, be open to being surprised all the time. And also she said, be, see what it feels like to be a nobody. Be mm. nobody. Yeah. And right from one context, right. Like, that could be a shame perspective. And from another context, it's a very freeing perspective. Right. So you have to uh, kind of diagnose yourself, not, and you know, even the word diagnose is open to interpretation. I don't mean it literally from a pharmaceutical perspective. I mean, diagnose from a metaphorical perspective. You have to be able to know yourself enough to know what you need. Yes. Yes. Well, thank you all for, um, joining in on our WhatsApp conversation turned <laughs> podcast. And yeah, I hope this episode gave you lots to chew on. <laughs> Hopefully not too much. And if this does feel like too much, spit it, spit it right out, you know, spit it right out. If you want to chew it'll on land it somewhere, it'll yeah. land somewhere and it'll come up again when you need it the most. I think the moral of the story is curiosity. Yeah. Curiosity. All right. It's always good to talk with you. Thank you so much for having me on. This is awesome. We will will have you on again. 10 out of 10, we will have you on again. So thank you for being here. All right, everyone. Thanks so much for listening. And I can't wait to chat with you next time.